As superhero movies are becoming mainstream entertainment at theaters around the world, comic fans also have plenty of heroic action on the small screen to keep them sated while waiting for the next blockbuster. We are in a golden age of superhero television shows, with plenty of offerings from both the Marvel and DC universes, and the trend shows no sign of slowing down. To chronicle these recent shows and even examine some of the classics, we are proud to present Weekly Heroics, a two true freaks guide to heroes on TV. In every podcast, we'll be doing recaps of individual episodes of one Marvel show and one DC show until we catch up to them or some supervillains shut us all down. My name is Scott McGregor, and I'm the fastest podcaster alive. That's what she said. And I'm Chris Tyler, one of your agents of cool. To bring you this podcast, we each have to become someone else. We each have to become something else. Two, two, Welcome to another Weekly Heroics, uh, which is a Two True Freaks official trademark stamp uh, guide to heroes on TV. So if you're getting your information about heroes on TV somewhere else, it's a pale imitation, folks. Do you agree, my loyal co-host, uh, Hair Metal Hero, Chris Tyler? Um, I, I don't know. What, do, do people listen? Are we liked? Hello? I think somebody likes us. We we got one email we read a couple weeks ago. Uh, okay. So good. we have some proof of that. Um, oh, thank God. <laughs> yeah, so we have one one listener. Um, to tens of listeners. I, I like to be ambitious and think we tens. have tens of listeners. <laughs> uh, but my name's Scott McGregor, in case you didn't know that. If this is your first time listening, uh, I don't know how you made it here. Um, and as usual, we're, we're running down one Marvel show, one DC show, doing an index show for you of a particular episode. And we are now up to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 1, Episode 8. And we're doing Arrow Season 1, Episode 4, I think, correct? Yeah. Week? All right. Awesome. So we're going to start out tonight, and this episode is called The Well. And actually, I, I've switched things, uh, full disclosure here, I switched things around, being that I am the executive producer and the guy that cuts this stuff up. We're equal producers, but I'm executive because I cut things up. I'm just talent. Yeah. <laughs> no, you got the producer credit, yeah. You know, oh, okay, thank you. Get that little couple extra points on the back end someday when this goes into very <laughs> lucrative syndication. <laughs> but where was I going with that? No, anyway, um, so I've decided to switch up. I was looking at our schedule the other day and realized that it's always been like me doing, I've had Hero do some Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. mainly so I could do a recap of an Arrow. But I, I got looking at our list and it's like I have not done a Flash yet, you know, and, and this is actually like our ninth show that we recorded. So I decided I need to flop things up a little bit, and I forced him to do an arrow this week. You don't have to. You don't have to force me. To and then, so I, I decided I need to. I want to get in there and do a flash. But um, the, that's the honest answer. The dishonest answer I considered giving um, was that I, I I I took a bullet for you because the well uh, were actually is an Agents of Shield episode that's tied into your least favorite Marvel movie, I think, which is 
Thor 2? Um, yeah, but the episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is awesome. It, it was a good episode, yeah. But, you know, I just I said just in case it would have caused you trauma, I decided to, no, no, to it, feel look, this it, one. Me, and me saying it's my least favorite Marvel movie doesn't mean that I'm, you know, not going <laughs> to rewatch the movie. <laughs> I know you, you 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 dropped the ball on the joke, Carol. You're supposed to. I, throw that I'm sorry. It's thanks. been a long day. Scott, man, thanks thanks for taking one for the team. Th- thanks for taking one for the team. <laughs> but I and I'm I'm a little enraged about this episode because when I had first read, um, you know, in the the next episode on synopsis when we were originally watching this, um, and and Thor two would come out. You know, I expected that this was going to be. There was a big dangling threat at the end of Thor 2 that nobody's ever really addressed ever. Any giant monster, giant monster roaming around freaking London or whatever they wherever they were, and so I was sure I wasn't sure how they were going to afford to do it, but I was sure the Age of the Shield was going to touch upon that somehow. But no, it is literally it is the the praying mantis eggs at the in the basement of the high school in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It's it's just a dangling thread that'll never get <laughs> picked up again. Uh, Thor got him. Yeah, sure. Off camera. Off camera, because why? Why would you want to show Thor fighting a giant fucking monster on screen, like you have a couple because times they, already? Because they had to service the love story and whatever the hell and the and comedy Foster. relief with Darcy was going on there. He... All right, <laughs> bad flashbacks. Yes. I actually liked Thor too quite a bit, but there were a lot of parts of it I didn't like at all. So. Yeah, I'll save my more in-depth thoughts for another time. Thor 3 is looking fucking good. Yes, I'm very excited for Thor 3. Absolutely smurfly. We open with a voiceover from Gemma Simmons about gods and myths while getting some footage from both Thor movies. That was kind of cool. Then we cut to the S.H.I.E.L.D. team involved in actual cleanup from the fight at the end of Thor 2, except for the monster. Fitz is involved in sciencey stuff. Simmons ducks a call from her concerned parents, while Coulson laments that Thor never sticks around after the destruction, and they're stuck uh, cleaning it up because damage control doesn't exist yet, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) And Sky expresses her excitement and intrigue about learning about the Asgardians as aliens, you know, a newcomer to this world kind of awe, and uh, them getting their hands... uh, Oh, as well as she'd like to get her hands on Thor for for research, of course. So would... um... Every, so uh, may. on that show yes <laughs> he's dreamy yeah but may kind of had this air about her it's almost like i already had it you know that's <laughs> you know or could have it if i wanted you yeah know. <laughs> i know him we're, we're you know i know people who know people elsewhere in uh norway uh norwegian national park a couple follows directions to a mysterious tree chopping it down to find an Asgardian staff that grants the woman who finds it uh, rage-filled strength by touching it, which she then uses on a pitiful park ranger. Fighting Asgardian strength is not his his strong point. Later at the scene, Ward helps Simmons through her uh, reticence to climb uh, on the downed tree to investigate it, using her tech to create a 3D model of the staff for Fitz to print out, his 3D printing stuff. Uh, the analysis reveals the artifact as Asgardian, uh, whilst, like, we couldn't see that one coming, while Sky sees over uh, the news that the couple, Petra Larson and her boyfriend Jacob, have been connected to several ongoing uh, Norwegian riots as uh, part of a Norse hate group. <laughs> In order to identify the item, uh, Coulson suggests they contact the same professor that he used to 
to tell him some stuff about Thor's hammer, a man named Elliot Randolph. And uh, this was a nice surprise when I first watched the episode. Um, Coulson visits the professor in Spain, who turns out to be Peter McNichol. Yay! Galen Bradwarden himself from Dragon Slayer. And, um, and other Janish. things. <laughs> yeah, and Janish, that's right. Yeah. I, I, I never remember him. Goo. See, he was so in that. I never even think of that as him when I think of Janish, but that was an awesome part, yeah. Uh, he identifies the artifact as one of the three pieces of the Berserker staff and tells us a nice little story. A rage and a strength-induced weapon, inducing weapon used by an Asgardian army long ago. And the warrior who used the staff supposedly elected to remain on Earth and hid its three pieces around the world so they could not all be found together, though the manuscripts have uh, left dubious clues to where their location is. Several investigations uh, fail to bear fruit, though uh, Sky eventually tracks another potential location to a church, which is coincidentally hmm, in the same uh, city as, as Professor Randolph here. So, uh, Warden Sky, good to see Peter McNichol. I just want to throw that out there again. I, I have not watched Dragon Slayer in way too long. Me neither. If, if none of you listening have seen Dragon Slayer, you, you must. It's like we can't be friends with you if you haven't seen it. Well, I'll so. be a little more ecumenical. <laughs> there, look, there are people that are not as, you know, in our in our vintage. That, in you know. our, our age, yeah. Yeah, actually, I just, kind of funny, I just dropped a, a timed reference on, on Andy Capellish, our buddy who designed our logo, um, on Facebook today. And I said, you're so cool, Brewster. And then I got thinking, like, this kid's <laughs> like 15 years younger than me. Does he necessarily know? Oh, I know. <laughs> Fright Night is. And so I found the clip on YouTube and posted it. And it's the one where Charlie gets the shit in his face. And, and Evil Ed is, you're so cool, Brewster. I can't stand it. And then I got thinking, it's like, now, now he thinks I'm a douchebag. Now he thinks I'm laughing at him. And it's like, so I had to message him and explain my, my timed reference to him, which I'm All sure right. he got anyway, but. Wow, that was a fucking tangent, wasn't it? It's all right. It's a Two True Freaks production. (laughs) Just feeling old today was the moral of that story, I guess. Anyway, (laughs) Ward and Sky investigate the ruins of an old church. Ward encounters Professor Randolph attempting to uh, get away with the staff piece himself. And he tries to grab the staff, which, you know, great move there, Ward. Um, and it causes him to double over in pain. And Randolph manages to escape as Sky quickly finds that Ward is not himself, and he's seeing all these flashbacks of a boy in a well. Outside, Randolph encounters the hate group who managed to overpower him because they've all been taking hits off the staff and making themselves super powerful. And they take the staff piece before Coulson arrives to intervene. Simmons tests an increasingly irate and snippy ward, while Coulson learns little from interrogating Randolph, with the professor claiming that he merely wanted to study the artifact himself before S.H.I.E.L.D. could lock it away. Ward angrily shugs off Sky's question question about the memory flashes pertaining to his brother, while Simmons dismisses his actions as an adrenaline spike, and and it's kind of obvious that he's got something going on from touching that, that staff still. Ward attempts to work through the anger with a punching bag in a pretty cool scene and almost, uh, well, I almost hits May, but she was on top of that shit. Yeah. And uh, he's continually, he's going over these images in his head as like the adrenaline uh, is getting higher and the boy's struggling in the well and May offers to lend a hand in quelling his rage. Elsewhere, Jacob and Petra uh, continue building an army, as I said, by recruiting others and a whole group of people taking the staff and, and getting their Hulk rage on. Ward admits to Coulson that he feels compromised by the staff, and he doesn't feel like he can do his job. 
but Colson um, actually kind of says, well, uh, you're kind of an asset to us as a super raged out Hulk guy. So we're going to use you that way <laughs> and go interrogate this guy and make him believe you're going to hurt him. So he sends him in to interrogate uh, Randolph and uh, Ward enters the room to begin his questions, draws a knife and uh, he goes to actually kind of stab him or threaten him with it. And Randolph easily deflects and destroys the blade, revealing himself as uh, as the Asgardian in the story. Randolph admits to never liking the power that came from the Berserker staff, uh, abandoning his lowly Asgardian life to live off Earth or live on Earth throughout the ages. Uh, and accidentally telling the wrong person his own myth and, and having it recorded so people could actually find this freaking staff. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> At the very least, Randolph admits to storing the third section of the staff in a, in a monastery in Ireland. And, and I thought it was a very funny scene um, during this interrogation where, you know, he's basically like, I, I don't, you know... I, just because I'm Asgardian doesn't mean I know Thor. You know, it's like that we were they needed masons and cooks and shit and farmers and in Asgard <laughs> too. Mason. Yeah, it's like you know, it's, it's not everyone in that lives in New York is in Manhattan. You know, it's <laughs> they aren't. Yeah, exactly. It's like uh, yeah, Asgard is a little bigger than that. Phil, get a grip. Anyway, arriving in the Emerald Isle, I should have let you do that one. Uh, Randolph assures Ward that his rage will subside eventually, though the staff has a way of shining a light on unpleasant memories. In Ward's case, his first experience with hatred, which is a pretty good reason to hate. Yeah. <laughs> the group arrived in the monastery and find the pieces hiding place, but not before Jacob and his forces have arrived. Uh, they stab Randolph in the heart and uh, with with one of the pieces of the staff. Forcing Ward to fuel up on rage again to fight the group, Jacob and Ward battle it out on the monastery floor while Fitz and Simmons attempt desperately to save Randolph's life. And Coulson, just kind of out of the blue, plunges his hands into the guy's chest to stop the bleeding, because I guess that works. Yeah. Sure. It's the first thing I'm going to try if one of my friends gets stabbed in the chest. If I get stabbed it's, in the chest, you better put that big meat hook in there. And I will right. do whatever I can do, man. I, no promises, but okay. <laughs> I somehow I think I'll, afterwards. I'll do I'll hungry. damage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, and uh, he starts his advanced healing, and you know, with, I guess he's in there doing the chart, you know, the chest. I know you can actually go in and massage a heart if you need to. Though, as I said, probably not your first line of defense. <laughs> <laughs> During the fight, Ward relieves the full memory of his youth, revealing him not as the boy in the well, but as the boy up top, whose evil fucking brother bullied him into withholding a rope from the drowning youth um, until it was too late. Back in the present, Ward allows May to take over, assembling the full staff and going fully hulked out badass. She fights off Petra before just ridding herself of the artifact without any apparent difficulty. Yeah. Upstairs, uh, Randolph regains consciousness. While Simmons finally accepts a call from her parents, uh, May admits to Ward that she relives some of her worst memories daily. She obviously just has a better grasp on her ghosts. Uh, hence, the staff had uh, little effect on her. Coulson ponders picking up the staff, admitting his death and resurrection to Randolph as guardian before advising the outed professor they should move to Portland, you know, for a means to stay out of the limelight. And they have a great orchestra up there with a cellist. That night, Ward apologizes for his behavior with Sky, returning upstairs to his hotel room before accepting an invitation to join May for a drink in her hotel room. 
And I think more yeah. than that, just a drink might have gone on there. Just a drink, sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> hey, people that fight together sometimes fuck together. I know. I uh, I love this episode. Um, it's still um, it's still in the early stages. Obviously, the show. You know, we're still in the first half of the first season, but um, this one does play you know really directly in with what's going on with the Marvel universe. And I know it's it's it has to stay on the outlier, but I'm not expecting Thor to show up on Agents of Shield. People, right. you need yeah. to get over that shit uh, or Cap or you know whatever. Uh, but I really like this one. Um, it play it gets to play with the Marvel Universe, uh, give us more about Asgard, and show that, like you said, Asgard is not all, uh, you know, Thor and Loki yeah, yeah, and Odin. It's there's other people that are just <laughs> regular inhabitants. Yeah, still badass, you know, compared to yeah. us. But yeah, yeah. I mean, they're still aliens, immortal uh, practically. But uh, the we also get to see the the dangling plot thread of what exactly is in Grit Ward's backstory. Yeah. And the surface of it is really only being scratched here. And it's a really nice slow burn that they do with him. He's such a block of wood almost at the beginning of the show. Uh, but by the time the season's over, yeah. <laughs> it's a very, very different character. And it, you know, it, it it does just enough in this episode. You go, what the hell was going on when he was a kid? Like, it makes you more interested in what's going on with him. Yeah, and totally. They, and the, yeah, the way they just give you a little bit of rope at a time <laughs> yeah, with his rope. story is, is so good. Not enough rope in time. So. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, but that was, I mean, it was a nice little uh, red herring, too, that, yeah, we are kind of led to believe it's him in the well in the memories yep. he's reliving, and it's not him... Him watching a buddy of his drown horribly <laughs> because his brother's a douchebag. It's like, yeah, I can see where that could have some lasting trauma on someone. Or is his brother a douchebag? Mm, yeah. Don't we don't know. Well, we know what Grant's perspective is right now. Eden production, nothing is maybe as it seems. Not with Grant Ward. Dun, dun, dun. The show's four years old now. Or, or, or Phil Coulson, for that matter. Actually, our, our after the credits scene, I didn't get to, um, was Coulson dreams of his magical beach in Tahiti. Yeah. Getting himself a nice little back rub and, and then waking suddenly in a panic sweat uh, back here in the real world. So, yeah. A lot of stuff going on. Yeah, Far more interesting than any of the stuff that was going on with Sky and her, whatever, what the hell was her a rogue outlying hacker yeah or a rising tide and rising tide yeah like <laughs> you can kind of forget about rising tide they did kind of on. drop it for a little bit too and to the show's benefit that they they kind of went on to other things and the set as far as they had to they had to do the obligatory back from thor episode you know they they have oh, yeah. done at least one of those with pretty much all of the movies so um, but I thought they did this well, except for my pet peeve about the monster disappearing. I'll never let that go, Marvel. I'm sorry. You know, start up the fucking little things maybe, on the maybe end of the it's off somewhere. Well, that's I, what I'll I figured they'd I'll at no least prize. do. I'm going to no prize it. Yeah. <laughs> Asgard sent down some warriors, and the collector has it somewhere. Makes sense to me. Yeah. I mean, the Warriors 3 probably came down like, God damn it, we're cleaning up fucking Thor's mess again. And, and <laughs> Seth is just like, I will clean up any mess. Yeah. It's Thor's mess. <laughs> yeah, that Thor makes, even if it's, you know, it's still like the. Let's go visit that girl, Jane Foster, while we're in town, though. I want to have a talk with her. 
<laughs> to my fist. Yeah, that's how Thor 2 should have ended. Oh, my uh, God. Wouldn't that have been amazing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sif just punching Jane Foster's head off. Yeah, I, I, oh, yeah. I would buy an extra Blu-ray cut for that, actually. I'm sorry, I, Natalie. Yeah, Clark, I would too. You're an awesome actress and, and all, but Sif is supposed to be with Thor. <laughs> yeah, though the next movie is apparently going to be with Brunhilde, so why not? That's fine, too. Yeah, yeah why not? Black Brunhilde, too, which is yeah. awesome. Sure. I wonder if that's a little Django-inspired there, because was it a... What's her, I can't remember her name now. The one that's on Scandal, she was uh, in Django, and she oh, played yeah. older, and she was black on that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yep. Black in real life. What the fuck am I talking about? Yep. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, clearly I am a white Acting. kid from the suburbs. Yes. <laughs> All right, white kid. Speaking of white kids from the suburbs, uh, you're going to tell us a little bit. Of Oliver Queen's doing this week. <laughs> my name is Oliver Queen. For five years, I was stranded on an island with only one goal. Survive. Oliver Queen is alive. Now I will fulfill my father's dying wish. To use the list of names he left me and bring down those who are poisoning my city. To do this, I must become someone else. I must become something else. Um, okay. Well, this is a pretty straightforward episode. We got a... Uh... Season 1, Episode 4 of Arrow. The title of the episode is An Innocent Man to the Billy Joel. Uh, and we uh, pick up immediately where we left off from the end of last episode after the encounter with Deadshot. Uh, Ollie has dragged Diggle into the uh, Arrow cave, and he takes out the um, bag of... Uh, bag magical weed, herbs. basically. Yes, magic, magical, magical herbs from the island. Magical herbs from Lian Yu. Um, <laughs> which I don't even think they've called it Leanne you yet. on. No, no. Um, so yeah, he's got this little uh, hoodoo bag of magic powder and he gives it to Diggle. Diggle wakes up and sees Oliver as the green arrow. And uh, <clears throat> that's where we start, right where we left off. Uh, and John um, at this time is given a proposition by Oliver. No, not that kind of proposition. Um, but uh, all he says, uh, you know, this is what I am. This is what I'm doing. The city's dying, you know, and you can help me out with that. And uh, Diggle turns him down, turns him down at this time. He's like, you know, you're a murderer, man. Like, can't can't do that. Uh, so the meat of this episode is it's only OK to kill people when you're in Afghanistan. <laughs> well, no, I was going to say the meat of the episode is uh, a very straightforward uh, ticking clock episode where. Uh, there's an innocent man who is on death row, and um, the bulk of the episode is Ollie trying to track down the evidence that will get this guy exonerated, and he's turned on to this because one of the names in his book is uh, the manager of this uh, innocent man's dead wife. Right. Uh, the guy in prison, I can't remember, what the hell is his name in the show? Peter Declan. Um He's a uh, he's on death row. In 24 hours, he's going to be executed, and uh, his wife worked for this guy Jason Brodeur. That's the guy that's in uh, Ollie's dad's book yeah. uh, on the list. So Ollie gets involved, and the biggest thing he does is he uh, enlists the help of Laurel to try to prove that Peter's innocent before uh, you know the <clears throat> the executioner is going to do his thing. Uh, so. 
the two of them do work together, and this causes some strife between uh, Laurel and uh, her dad, you know, because he's a cop, and he believes that, you know, cops got to do what they need to do, and Laurel's kind of throws it back at him, like, well, you know, they didn't do what they needed to do in this case. So um, we kind of push forward. Tale is told as time with these vigilante stories, you know. Yeah, basically, it's <laughs> it's a pretty it's a pretty straightforward episode. Uh, so Laurel, uh, you know, it's her last chance to try to to help out this guy Peter, and she's in Iron Heights Prison where he's uh, staying, waiting for his execution. And uh, Jason Brodeur uh, has the power cut at the uh, prison so that there could be a riot, so that uh, Peter and Laurel are murdered. Yeah before any new evidence can come to light. This fails spectacularly as Ollie has followed uh, the two of them to Iron Heights and he's knocked out one of the uh, prison guards, put on his uniform, and he's wearing a ski mask. A ski mat? Ski max? Ski mask. <laughs> in order to protect his identity because, I mean, the green face paint in the hood is so much better than that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he protects the two of them uh, and... Um, he also tracks down uh, the person who gave false testimony uh, that uh, got Peter is going to keep Peter Declan in prison. He beats the bag out of him, <laughs> manages to get the information that's needed, and by working together with Laurel, Jason Brodeur, this really bad guy, uh, ends up confessing, and uh, Peter Declan's freed. During the course of this. Uh, that's the A plot. The B plot is the interpersonal stuff. Yeah. The uh, interpersonal stuff here with uh, Diggle and Laurel um, is the more interesting stuff. Um, so Diggle quits actually being Ollie's bodyguard. Um, you know, I mean, what do you do in that situation? Do you want to keep trying to bodyguard a guy that you know is sneaking off everywhere and doing what he's doing? Yeah. Can't really do that. Even now so, that he's told you he's why he's sneaking off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He has a, a good reason for doing it, if you know, uh, you buy into the vigilante thing. And um, Ollie gets a new bodyguard, and this guy's a total schmo. Yeah. <laughs> Ollie ditches him every chance he gets, just like Diggle. Eventually, Diggle comes around uh, and says, all right, I'm going to join you because, uh, you know, since I'm a soldier, I know what it means to, to be in a war, and I'm going to keep you from, you know, losing your hum- humanity doing yeah. this. Um, you know, the pretty standard stuff uh, that you would do. It's very much a Batman Robin thing, even though <laughs> Diggle is clearly older than Oliver. Um, but and he really uh, wouldn't rock the red and green tights very well. I don't think uh, just not. Uh, I don't know, man. I don't know. He's in pretty good shape. He could probably pull off anything he wanted to. Long pants, maybe. No, I just the short shorts. Don't want to see Diggle in the short shorts. Sure, there's plenty of our, our other listeners that might, but, you know. <laughs> no, um, so that's a uh, B plot. That number from? one. B, B plot <laughs> number three is uh, Walter uh, Steele, Mora's new husband, uh, Colin Salmon, uh, who everybody should know if you watch enough uh, British movies and TV and James Bond movies. Uh, he finds a two point six million dollar variance in the company's books, um, so he investigates it. Moira uh, says, oh, that's a failed uh, venture that I tried to help a friend with. Um, Walt is not buying it. Uh, So he enlists the lovely Felicity Smoke to do a little digging off the books to find out what's going on. And we find out that the $2.6 million uh, was used to rent a storage unit in Starling City uh, that uh, Moira Queen 
uh, took out the uh, the lease for. The end of the episode is Walter going to investigate this uh, rental storage unit. And what do we find inside but the Queen's Gambit? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, dun, dun, dun. Mr. Queen's boat. That's supposed to be uh, at the bottom of the ocean, presumably. Supposed to be, yeah. Still <laughs> lost at sea. Is uh, The pieces of it that have been recovered are all put together in there. Dun, dun, dun. And we also get uh, introduced to uh, Malcolm Merlin officially, uh, even though uh, he's still kind of in the background. Uh, Malcolm and Moira are in a limousine together. Mm-hmm. And um, Malcolm mentions that all the people that the Hood have gone after, um, they're not just rich people. It's all of the people that are on uh, the list. So um, foreshadowing abodes. Who's on the list? Why are they on the list? Why is Moira concerned about it. Who's Malcolm Merlin? All that good stuff. The flashbacks for this episode are pretty, uh, pretty standard as well. Um, the uh, hooded guy who saved Oliver is trying to get him to get to the point where he's hungry enough to kill, 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 kill and kill. cook uh, a bird yeah. in order to survive. Uh, and that's really what all he learns at this point. And then he also. Um, Tells him, uh, you know, you keep looking at this picture of this girl. It's going to get you killed. You're going to have to kill a lot more if you want to survive the island. Yeah. So uh, overall, pretty standard episode. Um, action's good in it. It flows pretty well. And it is starting to pull all the pieces together of, uh, you know, the insidious backstory of what's going on with the Queen's Gambit. What's Moira got to do with everything? Who's Malcolm Merlin? And, Let's uh, talk now, about this Walter thing for a second, though. You've got, like, super hacker Felicity Smoke on your team now, you know, looking up shit for you. But you go and, and have to figure out the password to the warehouse yourself, and it ends up being something so easy that you can actually do that. Uh, just bad writer. Slap on the hands for that one. It's all right. I, I mean, it honestly could have just been a padlock. <laughs> it really wouldn't have mattered. That really wasn't the point. Right, but I don't know. I, I thought I made easy to, to guess passwords though you know but but Moira takes the cake with using her ex-husband's name eh, <laughs> whatever well you're trying to lock up a big corporate secret like that you know just put a little effort for you know towards it random number generator well, saying sure you know write that shit down and eat it if you need to or you know memorize it it's only like fucking six letters I don't know I think I'd be good at crime is all I'm saying I- <laughs> Just wish I'd gotten into it earlier in my life. Well, see, the problem with with <laughs> crime is uh, there's also another old saying that says "run like you stole it." You and I are not going to be running anymore. No, well, that's how I hire people to run for me. I, I would be a better kingpin-ish type crime figure than I would be actual like wheelman. Or I'd be a good wheelman as long as I don't have to get out of the car. I'm a very good. I, dri- I'm an excellent driver. I th- <laughs> yeah, I'm an excellent driver. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think I would probably end up uh, better as the mole man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll stay underground and let my moloids. Yeah, exactly. My giant. I wanted to. Yeah, giant giant monsters would help. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a little army of them. And... Oh, uh, what did I forget on this one? Oh yeah, um, right as Diggle has agreed to uh, help Oliver out, uh, Laura, uh, sorry, Captain Lance uh, comes in and arrests Oliver. Oh yeah, uh, for <laughs> what was it uh, obstruction of justice? As, what it doesn't matter. They got video of him hiding the suit and murder. They flat out accused him of being the arrow. Yeah, 
Yeah, so um, dun dun dun. I wonder what's going to happen. Yeah, I don't know. It's kind it was, of important. You know, Only the fourth episode. Yeah, and they were the fourth. Which was a great. That's a nice swerve to do. But we'll get yeah. to that one the next time. Any yeah, other? I, there was really no. Uh, not really any references or anything in here other than mentioning Bloodhaven. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but that's about it. I mean, it's a pretty standard episode. It's just trying to get those pieces put together between uh, Oliver Diggle and. Uh, the underlying mystery back home in Starling City. Yeah, did exactly what I needed to, and, and now Diggle's in, in in the fold and and is huge in the show. You know, from this day forward. So. Yeah, great character. There's no Arrow without Diggle, pretty much. So, yeah, very cool, very cool. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's about it for this one. Um, there's better stuff around the corner. This was just a putting the pieces together episode. Yeah, and a very safe a plot. And as this is being recorded, it was a couple of weeks ago. Um, when you hear this, it'll be about a month ago that I I finished Supergirl first season finally. And so I just want to give a big ass thumbs up to that, and hopefully we'll be covering that in some capacity soon. If we're not already, who knows? Timey wimey podcast stuff. We could already what? be talking about it. Um, and I hope too soon because I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I have a lot to say about that show. Started off a little, little shaky, but it's a show that really does find its footing uh, pretty fast. And there's definitely problems with it. Um, I think it moving to the CW going forward will uh, might exacerbate some aspects of it, but I think overall it's going to mesh pretty well with everything else that uh, the DC TV stuff on CW is doing. It's going to be unprecedented, unprecedented weirdness uh, in this. We have Superman coming back, Super fucking Man coming back to TV. In, yep. a li- in a limited role, at least. At least I hope, because we don't want him just to take over the Supergirl show, because it's awesome. Um, yeah. But it's going <laughs> to be... Uh... It's gonna be wild stuff, man. I, I'm wishing I was. I, I had been a bigger DC reader back in the day, and I didn't waste all that time with X Men. Sorry, Chris Claremont <laughs> and and Burn and no, no, no. See, geniuses, that's, that, but... But see that run from Giant Size number one through like for like 15 years is so good. Oh yeah, but they're not making those for as great TV shows for me, so <laughs> I'd, I'd rather. That's uh, true. I'd rather know more about these amazing fucking DC shows that they're putting on TV for us. So. Uh, most of my experience with DC is like edge of silver age though. So I mean, so this stuff is just hitting my 10 year old self on all cylinders. So gotta love that. Yeah. I'm enjoying it quite a bit as well. Yeah. But enough about that. We'll wrap this up for another week. Um, I said we will be talking about uh, that soon. And somewhere either before or after the show, you'll have heard the Luke Cage roundtable. Can't wait to do that one, too. Oh, yeah. And uh, I'm Scott McGregor. This is Chris Tyler. And hey. Join us again next week. Weekly Heroics at Yahoo.com is our email address. Would love to have another one. We had a great one a couple weeks ago from David Pasquarella. Um, you too can be like Dave. Exactly. And Dave, we're not even trying to guilt you into giving us another one, but we wouldn't turn it away. That's all I'm saying. If you love us, send us an email. If you like us, send us an email. If you hate us, send us two emails. Exactly. Yeah. More to read. All right. Uh, bye folks. Talk to you later. Oh, adolescents this generation have no respect and are a far cry from my sweet Jane Eyre and her friend Helen Burns. Why, just this afternoon, I was... Stella? 
us. And and you know what? Men too. Well, uh, uh, Stella. Serious men like the tragic Mr. Rochester and teachers. Pa, they're all like the villainous Mr. Brocklehurst. Hey, Stella! Uh, yes, Thomas. As much as I enjoy um, indulging your insanity, uh, we have a promo to record. Oh dear, and what might that be? That is you and I telling everyone that we have a brand new podcast out there. It's called Required Reading with Tom and Stella. Once a month, we will take a look at a single work of literature, discuss it, analyze it, and determine if it's worth its place in the canon. Oh dear, that sounds delightful. Oh, I'm sure it will be. And you can find us on the Two True Freaks Network, which is at twotruefreaks.com. Oh yes, required reading with Tom and... Why is it Tom and Stella? Why can't it be Stella and Tom? It rolls off the tongue better? Okay. Well, that was easy. So, required reading with Tom and Stella. twotruefreaks.com Thanks for contributing to the promo there. You did a great job. Oh, you are so welcome.